We've got Kurt Brester with us today on our uh, latest Backstage Lights podcast, and Kurt's in Salt Lake, and uh, he is in his car, and so Kurt, just want to say thank you very much for taking a few minutes and uh, helping out a, a fellow uh, music person who's just trying to, to get by till more than six people can can gather, you know? Well, and, you know, we are definitely safe uh, social distancing here. I don't know how many miles you are away, but, uh, yeah, it's nice to talk to you, Joe. We're both in the same business, uh, and uh, it's weird time for us. So whatever it yeah, takes, I don't that, care if yeah. one person listens, at least we're connected. Well, that's great, and uh, I really appreciate it. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I know that uh, I know that you do a lot with a lot of different artists and uh, promoters and things, and uh, you always go uh, beyond uh, the, the mark as far as I'm concerned in, in, in everything you do uh, when you do a show. Uh, and I just, you know... Uh, uh, you know, it's just it's just great to. to I will tell to work you, Joe, you. that that I I'm going to pay uh, tribute to my father. If, if that trait is evident, then I can give tribute to my dad, who who was a, who was more of like an athletic coach than a musician, uh, even though he was both. But he always said, "Look, if you're going to do something, do it well. You know, be the best or be the bester." I mean, he would pound that into us. So it's kind of a habit, but I'm I think it's a good one. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a great habit and <clears throat> very evident. Well, the, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, kind of what, I, and I've talked about it uh, with a couple of my other guests too that have been in the music business one way or the other, and, and that is, you know, how has this whole COVID thing uh, affected, you know, how, how you go to business and, and, and what you do on, on a daily basis? Well, you know, I, I'd be lying to say that it hasn't changed things drastically as, you know, three or four concerts got immediately canceled and that doll, those dollars just disappeared. Um, but I will say, I think a lot of us musicians were prepared for things like this because we, those of us that have been in the business for a while, you know, we went from recordings being our main source of income until that totally went away with, uh, you know, peer-to-peer sharing, which people know is streaming now. And that, so all the, our money went away from CD sales. Then we did a lot. We pushed all our live concerts. We started doing a lot of live concerts. And now, of course, that's been taken away temporarily, hopefully. So I guess we're just kind of used to our world changing drastically, and we have to be creative to create. <laughs> And I guess the the hard part, though, Joe, is just it happened so fast. And it didn't only happen to us. It happened to everybody else. So our audience, they don't know what to do. They go, wow, Kurt's doing a concert online. Should I spend money? I better save it so I can feed my kids. Uh, Everybody's been affected. But those of us in the creative world, um, yeah, we just got to try a different approach, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in your opinion, and yet, as you have talked to people and, uh, you know, some fans, people who support you and whatnot, do you feel like um, when we go to green or what, whatever the color, when we can start having shows where people can sit next to each other, do you feel like uh, the the financial thing from a 
ticket buying standpoint is going to uh, really be impacted or I've heard some some schools of thought where people are going to be so excited about going to a show or whatever that that that's not going to impact uh, it's not going to impact sales what what's your opinion my, my opinion is this I, first of all I think number one there will be a thirst um, not just because people haven't seen the show for a while but I think people have been, and this is based on what I hear from people, they, they realize how important it's been not just to listen to music or see a theater production, but just to be around real human beings. I mean, we're all at home listening to music by ourselves. We're streaming shows by ourselves. But it's getting old, and we suddenly realize, I really miss sharing entertainment with other people. So I think the, the thirst and the hunger for as far as the financial thing goes, you know, unfortunately, the arts, everybody appreciates the arts, but um, sometimes, especially since live concerts had before the situation, had increased like four times what people used to spend 10 years ago or even five years ago. So it only, a lot of people who are upper middle class to upper class, they can afford it. They will afford it. They're just waiting to be safe. Um, right. As for the people in the lower end of things, um, you know, I hope that I hope that they don't suffer too much, and hopefully there'll be some concerts that will allow people of lesser means to come in at a discounted price or who knows what. We we but we definitely need to get back together, and I think there will be a thirst, and I think people will say, "I'll skip my Starbucks drinks for a couple of days." and go to a concert. Yeah, I you know, I, I totally agree with you. I've 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 seen that um you know, talk to a lot of different uh artists and and, and agents and whatnot and they kinda have that same same philosophy. Um you know, speaking of uh, of concerts, uh and this next little this next question will kind of be be uh one in the same, but um you know a lot of people I think I mean maybe that if they've never seen you live they know you as more of a piano keyboard guy, um, but yet <clears throat> when you when you do a, a live show, you talk about the flugelhorn, which is a which is a which is a revved up revved up version of a trumpet. So tell us about tell us about that because I think people think one thing, but in reality, that's your isn't that your first instrument your your number one? It's the one that I was known for in high school, but I, I, I think the way to kind of sum it up for people that haven't seen me before, that are trying to assign a, a moniker to me, um, I consider myself a composer-performer. Now, what I perform or how I perform kind of depends on what I compose. So if I compose a, a piece where I think, you know, I think this song sounds great with strings and a flugelhorn, uh, which is a, it's kind of a not a cross between a trumpet and a French horn. It's a beautiful sound. Uh, you, your older listeners might remember Chuck Mangione. He kind of made it famous. But if, if I need to play a recorder, I'll pick up a recorder. If I need to play piano, I'll play piano. As a composer, what I, my voice is all the instruments I have to draw, draw from. So if I stand up and conduct an orchestra and don't play something but a baton, that's still my voice you're hearing, and that's kind of how I, that's kind of how I sell myself. It's the, 
my voice is the whole sum of all the parts. And in concert, as you know, Joe, because you've hired me quite a few times over the years, um, it's not just me playing piano or flugelhorn, but it's also the queen. It's uh, an occasional I'll sing a song like Prayer of the Children. So uh, I don't know if that summed it up nicely, but I'm a composer that performs his compositions. Yeah, and I think that's yeah, that's fantastic. I just I, I remember the first time uh, we promoted you, and I I think that just kind of took me by surprise because again, you know, I'd seen more of the the keyboards. It's it's fantastic how you how you put that in there. Um, when you actually sorry to interrupt, but my next album that I'm working on right now, kind of my my coming from the COVID album <laughs> is is really uh, more of a horn with production behind the album. I decided that I wanted to do something a little different. So it's uh, being produced by a friend of mine, John Hancock, who's made his name doing electronica music. Uh, but it's, it's a hybrid of classical jazz that's produced by someone with kind of contemporaries with me on flugelhorn. So yeah, I'm, I'm full of surprises. Yeah, that's, that, that'll be great. Uh, great to hear when you get that out. Um, what um, when you do a show, uh, when you when you interact with the fans a little bit, what's the most requested tune that you get? Well, I think I mentioned "Prayer of the Children." That probably is the song that I'm most known for. So people really will be disappointed if I don't perform it. Um, and when I perform it in my concerts, I, for you um, over, I, if, if we, I'm trying to remember all the shows we've done together. Let's say at a four shows we've done um most of the time i sing it with a machine that splits my voice into parts and makes me sound like right. a choir but uh recently i've had other people sing the song so i've had lexi walker sing it and i believe she sang it at one of the shows we did but uh this at my christmas concert this year i actually had members of the one voice children's choir i had three soloists sing one per verse it was probably the most haunting rendition of that song that I've ever heard um, to where I'm not sure if I'll do it again, but I certainly have to do that song. So yeah, Prayer of the Children would be the, the top song requested. Yeah. And, and I think that, uh, you know, I think that that means a lot. Uh, that song means a lot to, to a lot of different people when, you know, when you, when you play it, 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 it is, uh, even when you do it just by yourself and with with your machine and whatnot, it, it, it's haunting on its own. So that'll be excited, you know, exciting to see how you kind of have switched that up and uh, and arranged it a little bit. Um, I, I know that um, it was kind of interesting because we did the one concert where you were with Jenny Baker. It was your rock, um, yeah, rock classical. Yeah, that was a that that was a great show, and you did it there too, and that was. That was fantastic because uh, we yeah, had I think, these. I think she played. She played kind of a, um, a, sec a secondary part that I had written for her on top of me, and, right? Uh, and that was kind of a fun way to do it. Uh, I what I really love is that the song can take on different forms. It's been sung by a lot of people. I mean, David Archuleta has sung it many times. Uh, it's sung by Three Dog Night in every one of their concerts as an mm -hmm. encore, and and uh, there's a big long list. I want if I give you any more it'll sound like i'm bragging but it, it's actually quite fun for me to have kind of created this child and then watch the child to go off go off and have a life of its own it's and i'm proud of it 
Yeah, that's great. Uh, you know, and speaking of that, um, talking about the business a- angle a little bit and, and, and your the songwriting, um, you mentioned how uh, everything's changed now that it's kind of a digital uh, world that we live in in terms of in terms of um, income for for performers, writers, or whatever. So, uh, tell us a little bit about songwriting and uh, you know how how you get paid from 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 writing a song. Well, if I can remember when I got paid, um, <laughs> it, now it as a songwriter, there's many different income streams. We talked about performing. Let's just t- take that off the list right now. And um, I get paid sometimes as a composer, more as an arranger, which is me um, arranging a song for an artist. I get paid a flat fee. As a composer, however, there are more options available. All of the music that I've done over the years on the 20 album um, that I've done, my Christmas, my soundtracks, and so forth, all of those things have a life of their own. They're out being sung or being put behind a, a music video, put in the back of it, uh, they, they air on TV, um, et cetera, et cetera. Every time those play, a little percentage gets sent to me. And it's collected. I won't get too much in the, in the weeds on this, but it gets collected by BMI and ASCAP on BMI. Um, so that when someone sings my song or someone records my song, a, a few pennies go to my account. And every quarter, I get a check from, you know, BMI saying, congratulations, your song's been used this many times. Now, it doesn't represent, I mean, if you're a big artist like, you know, Shana, uh, let's say Taylor Swift, um, she gets millions of dollars because her music is played to play to play to play. Those of us at my level, even though I'm known uh, in certain circles, my music doesn't get played a lot on radio or uh, it does get streamed, but it's a niche thing. So I can expect a decent amount every quarter, uh, not the kind of money that the big artists make. Um, right. So that's, that's basically how, how artists get paid. They, we don't get paid by CD sales anymore, very few people, except merchandise when you go to a concert. People, right. don't want, they don't want to take home downloads. They want to take home a thing. So CDs right. still sell right. there, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, that brings me to the next one. Um, a few years ago, we did that. We did a concert up at Snow uh, with Dan Hill. I don't know if you remember that. And uh, yeah, I do that, remember that. Sure. Yeah, that 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 was really for me kind of a. I mean, just trying to put that thing together with him coming from Canada, and, and he doesn't really perform a lot and stuff. But um, what does I mean? He's he, he's a songwriter who is he wrote he's written a lot of hits uh, for a lot of different people. And so, what did that kind of mean to did, I mean, did that have any significant meaning to you to to do something a one-off with him? Or you know, it always it always does, uh, Joe, because I admire people like that so much. I've been lucky enough to perform with people like Dan, and thanks to you that time. Um, and and these these are people that forged the way. I performed with Melissa Manchester, and I'm friends with her now. Um, and these are names that people uh, maybe of our vintage, you and I are similar age, we'll remember those names, but. But even uh, names that come out of the 80s and 90s, performing with uh, different people from that, these are, these are people that I hold in high esteem. These days, if you're, an, if you're a music artist and you had a career that lasts as that long, you are, you know, you're something. 
to, to, to respect. Most people now, you know, they create, they're like uh, YouTube influencers. They do a song. I mean, I don't know how many people remember that guy named Tay. I can't remember his last name. He was one of the early YouTube guys. He sang uh, Chocolate Rain. On oh, YouTube. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, what's happened to him? <laughs> yeah, like, right, when right. You, when you put out the equivalent of musical Big Macs, chances are you better take your money and, and, and hold it close because you're not going to be Bruce Springsteen or one of these or Dan Hill. You're not going to be somebody like that that has worked their way slowly up, had a great career. And, you know, Dan might be on maybe more of the twilight years of his career and not everybody knows him, but he's left a legacy that guys like me truly respect. I mean, uh, you know, for me, sometimes when we touch, it's still better than 90% of the stuff I hear. Yeah, no. it is. Well, you're, you're no. talking about what I love about Dan is Dan is one of the, I mean, he came out of a period and, you know, and he wrote for, for decades, but when that song was written, doing the lyrics that were in, intelligent, you know, you just couldn't say baby got back and, and yeah. feel like you got a hit. Um, <laughs> I don't know if your audience is going to know what that means, but you're chuckling. But the point is, is that he wrote, he thought about his lyrics. He thought through them. He didn't just say, yeah, that rhymes with that. You know, he used alliteration and metaphor, um, you know, the, the James Taylor school of lyrics. And right. I appreciate that. But not only that, when you hear his melodies, I mean, you brought up a song, sometimes when we touch, the honesty too much, just that little, that's a very unique thing melodically. That's a unique thing that sticks in people's minds. Um, more than, like you said, more than 90% of the songs that are heard out there. So Dan is a true craftsman, an artistic craftsman of melody, lyric, and, you know, he may not be the most dynamic performer, although I thought he was quite engaging. Um, he doesn't have to sit on stage and project all these images and, and have the whole thing be a big whiz-bang show. He can just sit up there with a the guitar or with a piano, and, and that's all you need with a guy like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I totally agree. Uh, <clears throat> one of the things I find very interesting about you, and and as I follow you on various platforms and, and know kind of what you do, um, take us through. For example, you 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 arrange a lot of things for artists and produce albums. And I'm just going to throw Jenny Baker out there because I know that you you've worked with her a lot. So, you know, with her and knowing her. Uh, what, you know, when she comes in with some songs, what, what is your main goal for her, for her? Well, and, and I'll, let's use her an example, but it would work for anybody. Um, with Jenny, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it'd be better for me to start with someone that I don't know so well, and then I'll, okay. and then I'll yeah. end up with Jenny. So I just started arranging music for another violinist named Carolyn Caroline Campbell. She's on the road with um, um, Chris Bodie. She also performs with Andrea Bocelli. She's, she's the real deal. Um, on a par with Jenny as far as technical ability, but much more exposed nationally, internationally. Anyway, I just started working with her. As an arranger, I've got to get to know her personality. I've got to get to know her playing because she's trusting me 
to wrap my arranging around that so that when she steps on stage, it sounds like her and not me, um, even right. though right. it'll sound like me too. So I spend a lot of time listening to her play, analyzing, you know, with Jenny, for now, now I'll end up with Jenny. With Jenny, she likes, I, mean, I don't know the best way to say it, she likes to show off her ability. And there's nothing, that's not, a, that's not I'm denigrating her. She has incredible facility. The audience gets wild by that. And she loves to perform the high notes, the fast notes, the big, the loud. Our last album that we did is called Epic. And right. the, the songs were chosen by me. She doesn't really care all the time what songs are chosen. She'll have a say in that. But it's really me that kind of programs her albums. Um, and, and, and I also kind of come up with the theme. So I said, Jenny, why don't we do, we started out by thinking, let's do music that is like, let's say Star Warsian. It, it, that it's, it sounds epic, not just loud. And then, then that morphed into, well, we can't do every song that sounds big and loud. But then I said, what if we did songs that were epic in your soul? And what if we did songs that were epic in orchestration, I said, everything should come from that place. So we, we kind of lay it out there. She buys into the premise. She likes the song I've chosen. She trusts me implicitly after all these years. And then she just says, you know, show up with the songs. And I very rarely get, she very rarely comments anything other than great. I'll get to work. She doesn't say, Oh, I don't like that. Or I don't, oh, can you change this? Very rarely does that happen because we know each other so well. We've worked together for a quarter of a century, and she's, I don't even know how she old she is, but I think she was in her <laughs> teens when we started working together, and right. now she's got four kids, and I'm, I'm arranging for them as well. But, you know, arranging for an artist, it's, it's an honor for me to do it. They take my notes, put their personality with it, and then it goes so much farther than I ever dreamed, usually. Right, and... and... And uh, <clears throat> they're all fantastic. I I, I loved um, I loved the uh, album that you did also a, a few years ago. Um, and now it's, the gal just left um, just left my mind. But uh, uh, was it uh, was it yeah. Sandra Turley? Sandra Turley. Yes, that's who it was. Yeah. Yes. Well, Sandra and Sandra Sandra is an interesting case. She's she's really a great friend of mine. Uh, but we didn't know each other much before we did the album. Um, so when I started with her, she, she's had incredible, um, experience on Broadway stage, being in Les Miserables on Broadway traveling show, but she had a little bit of a, um, some pro let's see where, how do I say this? She, she got in a little bit of stage fright to where she didn't trust herself. So I had, in her case, I had to kind of help her build that back so that she could, she could let down her guard in front of me and let the emotions pour out. Um, and, and she did an amazing job. She did a version of Prayer of the Children. I don't often let people do that. And she also did one of my favorite arrangements that I've ever done of a Stephen Sondheim song, which was uh, No One Is Alone, right. uh, apropos, yeah. apropos right now. And that song, yeah. um, anyway. Yeah, so that's the arranging process, Joe. Yeah, that's great. Uh, one thing, and, and you know, again, I, and I don't want to, I don't know how you feel about this because uh, a lot of people know you for your, your Christmas shows. Um, 
but I also know that you tour year round. It's not just, oh, let's just show up once a year and play some holiday songs. Uh, and, and so how did, how did the, the holiday concert uh, experience come about for you? I mean, you know, how, what made you just decide to start it or how did that all come about? I'll, I'll tell you, this, this is going to be crass commercialization, Joe. I'm going to be honest. I wanted to do an album. And so I, I had talked to a few people, uh, people here in Utah that are listening in Utah will know Alexi Azevedo. Uh, he had an album uh, label, and I talked to him, and uh, he goes, oh, you know, Christmas will never sell. Uh, or no, sorry, I had talked to him about another album. Let me back up. This is so many years ago, I, I'm forgetting all the facts. I started out by doing an album that was geared towards a religious audience. Uh, Mormons liked it here in Utah. Um, it was called Joy Spring. And it was instrumental out, instrumental songs that were hymns, but they were done in a very cinematic way. That that was very popular. It was unusual at the time. Nobody had really done that. This is 1987. After that, I said, I want to do another album. I want to do a Christmas album. And up to that point, there was really only Mannheim Steamroller that had done that. They, they, right. they were really the first one out. Nobody else had done it. There wasn't even a place in the store where you could find Christmas music like that. And it wasn't a Christmas music uh, section. So I went to Lex, who had done my first album. I said, Lex, I want to do a Christmas album. He said, bad idea. Nobody buys Christmas music. Um, it's, it's niche -y. You only have like three weeks to sell it. Think of something else. Well, I was not to be, I didn't have a contract with him. So I went to another group of guys uh, that owned a music production company and I pitched them on the idea. They kind of bought into it. And, so I did an album. Then the, I said, I got to perform. And I, up to that point, Joe, I wasn't a performer. I mean, I had performed, but I had never done my own concert. So then I, I, we said, we got to do a concert. So, okay, um, sure. So we, we got really gutsy, and you'll appreciate this as someone who promotes concerts and books halls. We said, let's do a Bravenel Hall. <laughs> yeah, shoot for the moon. Which seats, uh, yeah, that was more like shooting for Pluto. It was seat 2,800 right. people. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know that many people in my life. <laughs> so we booked it, and then we started to, pr to, to promote it ourselves. We didn't have a promoter, but we, we, we would call the radio station and say, uh, would disguise their voice, say, hey, I've, have you guys, I've heard about this Kurt Bester, have you, have you played any of his Christmas music? And the guys would say, oh, well, yeah, we, we got the album. We don't know who he is, but we'll play the music. And so they'd play it. Then we'd call again and disguise our voice. <laughs> we would say, hey, this is John down at the auto body shop. We sure <laughs> need a boy. Sure like that. Kurt Besser. We created this, this icon that nobody ever knew. And then <laughs> when I showed up for that first concert in 1988, it was, oh, it's, I think it's either Christmas 1980, anyway, it doesn't matter. But back then, enough people showed up that we thought, wow, we can do this next year. And after doing it about three, four, then five years, it started to feel, wow, this is kind of a tradition. Do we say that? And uh, yeah. this year will be my 33rd year. So That's crazy. I, I, I mean, mean, you know, you, story. Yeah, and and what you what you've built is something that I think as a promoter, the the reason I promote shows is 
and I'm hoping we can come through this this weird time is I like creating something where there isn't anything. So just just, just like you just like you were saying, there wasn't really a market for that. You shot for the moon, and 33 years later, I mean, you know, you're still you're still doing it, and and people are still loving it, and and families, it's it's the tradition. You know that that that's really neat, and and uh, you know that's. Well, and let me let me say because it's 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 appropriate to talk about this during this COVID time. People have asked me, "What are you going to do this year? This is thirty third year. You you can't skip your concert. Are you gonna Are you gonna have a concert? And you know, had you asked me this in April or March when we first started getting into the the COVID quarantine thing, I would have said, "Oh, of course, now it'll be all over, no problem." Well, now there's discussion. You know, uh, the people that promote the Eccles Theater in Salt Lake, where I do my big Salt Lake show, they, um, they're they not getting any of the Broadway shows coming to town. So all of those shows have canceled, not because they don't think they could do a show during that period, but because they can't take a chance on a nationwide tour. If one city comes, you know, has a resurgence of COVID, and then they suddenly go, our, our tour is all shot to heck. So they've just canceled until 2021 which means yours truly might be one of the only shows at the Echoes this year. We don't know exactly. Right. If we did it today, I could do it for 460-plus people. Next, right. maybe in two weeks from now, it might be 700. But I will do a Christmas show, I'll guarantee you that. Well, and that's fantastic. I, and, and I think you should. And, uh, you know, tell me uh, one lesson You've been through a lot uh, in in your career. Uh, you, you've met a lot of people, done a lot of things, whatever the case may be. Uh, what's one lesson that you've learned to this point in your career that you could that you could tell someone to help them in their in their lives? I would say this: be be cautious to say no. In other words, don't say no too fast. I would say in our business. If you feel like you want to perform or you want to record or you want to do what I do, be real. Don't say no very often. Say right. yes more often and then figure it out. If you, if you, you know, if I would have said, no, I can't do a concert. I've never done a concert before. I can't do a big Christmas concert, let alone at the Bravenel Hall. Heaven, I mean, can you imagine if I was nervous? Right. I was very nervous about doing that first year. I still get nervous, but that first year especially, but we said yes, and then we, then we figured it out. And I think right. that that's, that goes, I mean, you know what, that, you can take that to just about any profession, but certainly in the music business, which is a, a business full of dreams, made of dreams, and made of creative people, if you can dream it and then be creative to make it happen, that yes becomes a reality rather than a no, I, I think I'd better practice more. I think I'd better wait till I'm ready, and you're never ready. Right. Well, uh, fantastic information. I love talking to you because you got so many great stories and have been through the wars and the whole nine yards. And so, uh, you know. We're in one right now, man. We are. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you joining us, Kurt. And uh, best of luck, and I'm sure we will be in touch soon. I certainly hope so, Joe. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>